Last week we began a new teaching series called um, Help, My Life is Out of Control. And last week, uh, if you were here, you know that we talked about how so many of us uh, today lives, live lives that are very full. And they're full with some very good things. Family, jobs, uh, friends, activities, church, uh, all of that make for very full lives. But it's also clear to me that uh, some of us are trying to live life at a pace that is unsustainable. We can't hold on to everything we have in life and keep the pace that we're living. And sooner or later, we're going to pay the price for that. And that price is going to be extracted physically or mentally, emotionally or spiritually. But the answer to the problem is not to just let go of everything in life. We can't always let go of our job or some of our relationships or hopefully not the church or supporting our children in their faith and activities. But the answer is a redirection of our priorities. It's ultimately discovering what's most important in life for us and for our family. It's finding out what has the greatest impact on every other aspect of our life that will help us live at a more sustainable pace. And the reality is that everything in our life begins to move better to a better place when we live at a sustainable pace of life. Today we're going to learn another important lesson about managing our lives from an Old Testament hero by the name of Moses and his father-in-law, Jethro. It's a critical lesson for those of us who are living out-of-control lives. So stay tuned. Let's pray together. Lord God, in a universe that seems so immense, it is easy to feel insignificant as we stand here today. And yet we know that we are precious in your sight, unique individuals who are loved and blessed in so many ways. We stand in awe of the one who has created all things, and we dedicate this time and we dedicate our lives to your service. So accept our sacrifice of praise that we offer to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we began this teaching series on finding help for our out-of-control lives by acknowledging that some of us are living at an unsustainable pace. We're always in a hurry, and yet we try to cram more and more activities and more and more responsibilities into an already overbooked schedule. According to Kirk Byron Jones in his book, Addicted to Hurry, the Consequences of Living This Way, and we talked about this last week. If you were here, you might remember the consequences of living this way are that we don't see clearly, we don't listen carefully, we don't think deeply, and we don't savor life fully. Pastor Adam Hamilton of Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City adds a fourth consequence to our out-of-control lives. And he says that when we live this way, we don't serve God effectively. When we are in a constant state of movement and find ourselves saying yes to more and more things, we either don't have time to do the things that God wants us to do, or we don't have the energy and the resources left to do them effectively. There are a couple of conversations that I frequently hear that speak to the unsustainable pace of living that many of us find ourselves in. One is that I can't do any more than I'm doing because I'm exhausted. How many times have you felt like just staying home from church on Sunday morning? Don't raise your hand. I really don't want to know. But I know it happens. 
Sometimes we just feel like staying home. We're worn out from the week. The pace, the events, the pressure, the job, the travel, just to sleep in and not have to be anywhere on Sunday morning would feel so great. How often have you said, I just don't have any more time in my week to be involved at church? Teaching Sunday school takes time. Being in a small group is just another night out in the week. Even trying to be part of the worship team or some other ministry of the church just would put me over the edge. Rod, you just don't know how it is for young families these days. There's something every night of the week as well as Saturday and Sunday that our kids need to be at. We just can't fit another thing into our schedule. We're exhausted, and our kids are exhausted. I wish my kids could be in Sunday school, or I could help teach, but we have soccer, we have hockey, we have baseball tournaments every weekend. We have to let something go. And in my mind, it's very sad that the something we need to let go is usually church. It's the things of God. We exchange what we think matters here and in the moment for that which builds faith and matters for all eternity. And that's certainly one scenario that I hear a lot. But there's a second scenario that comes up from time to time as well. And that is that many of us have a hard time saying no. Sometimes we don't say no because we feel like we should be doing certain things. And sometimes we don't say no because we really think that we are the only ones who will do it the right way. Sometimes we don't say no because we want to be like all of our other friends or we don't really want to disappoint the coach or we feel like we deserve to take the weekends off to relax and we're not serving God to our ability or our capacity. I believe that part of the struggle that many of us face is wanting to do too much ourselves. We wear ourselves out when we're that person who has control issues or plagued with perfectionism. Do you know anybody like that? See, perfectionists and controllers are often uh, the, the person who will say yes to things or just do things themselves because they want them done the right way which often means their way. Now, I'll be honest and tell you that I've been like that at times. Not recently, many, many years ago. But in my 40 years as a pastor, there have been some times when I've done, uh, because I didn't, I've done things because I didn't think that, that someone else could do it the right way, which usually meant my way. Or I just didn't want to ask somebody else to do it. I, I might be the only one who struggles with doing that or feeling that way. But we do, we just do it ourselves because we don't want to ask for help or we feel like it's our place to do it or we think that we can do it better than anybody else. And of course, the problem is that we have a limited number of hours in a day. And so long as we're busy doing those things, we don't make it ourselves available for other things that God may want us to do. Or we just add more and more and more to our plate until everything begins to fall apart. And if you think it won't fall apart, you're kidding yourself because it eventually does. But there is an antidote to this way of thinking and living. If we are saying yes to everything because we think we have to do it all and need to do it all or are the only ones who can do it right, then we need to learn an important lesson. 
You may or may not know the name of Benjamin Zander, who is the founder and director of the Boston Philharmonic Orchestra and author of the book, The Art of Possibility. In his book, he tells the story of two prime ministers in Europe who were in the middle of a meeting when one of the assistants to the prime minister enters the room and he's visibly upset. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, he asks. It's just terrible, terrible. We have to get on this right away. And in the middle of his rant, the prime minister looks at him and he says, Carl, Carl, calm down. Remember rule number six. And instantly, Carl is calm. And he says, oh, yes, thank you, Mr. Prime Minister. And he leaves quietly. The other prime minister is impressed, and he begins to wonder what rule number six is. And just about that time, another assistant enters the room, visibly upset, and she is just as concerned as Carl. And as she's anxiously pacing about, asking, what can we do? We must do something. We must act quickly. And the prime minister cuts her off, and he says, Maria, Maria, remember rule number six. And immediately Maria calms down and says, oh, yes, thank you, prime minister. And she leaves quietly. Well, now the other prime minister is really curious about this rule, and he's about to ask about it when a third staff member enters the room, and, and he's all worked up. For the third time, prime minister says, Peter, Peter, remember rule number six. And Peter stops, and he shakes his head and smiles, and he says, oh, yes, rule number six. Thank you. And he leaves. Well, the visiting prime minister can't take it anymore. So before another person enters the room, he asks his friend, he says, so what's rule number six? It must be very powerful to have such a calming effect on everyone who has come in here today. So please tell me about it. And the host prime minister says, well, it's really quite simple. Rule number six says, don't take yourself too seriously. The prime minister thinks about it for a moment. He says, you know, that's a pretty good rule. Now, what are the other five rules that lead up to it? They must be equally as good. And the friend smiles and says, there are no other rules. There are no other rules. We just have to stop taking ourselves so seriously. Have you ever experienced rule number six personally in your life? when you've taken yourself too seriously? What I've discovered is that God has a way of humbling us when our inflated opinions of ourselves get too high and bringing us back to reality. One of the great Old Testament characters in the Bible, Moses, had to learn the same lesson, and he did learn it from his father-in-law, Jethro. Moses had led God's people out of slavery in Egypt, and now they're making their way toward on this long journey to the promised land. Moses was clearly the leader. And so when any problem came up, Moses had to deal with it. What this meant was that Moses spent almost all of his time resolving conflicts. Story is recorded for us in Exodus chapter 18. The next day, Moses took his seat to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning Till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? 
Why are you trying to do all of this alone while everyone stands around you from morning till evening? And Moses replied, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When the dispute arises, they come to me and I am the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give, him, give them his instructions. This is not good, Moses. Father-in-law exclaimed, you're going to wear yourself out, and the people too. This job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. Now listen to me, and let, let me give you a word of advice, and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representative before God, bringing their disputes to him. And he goes on with this advice, which I'll get to in a moment. But can't you just hear Moses saying to his father-in-law, I do it all because no one else can do it. God appointed me as the leader and so much it's my responsibility and besides, no one else would do it like I do it. And can't you just hear Jethro, like any good father-in-law, saying, Moses, you're a fool. You need to get over yourself. Okay, maybe he didn't say it exactly in those words, but I'm sure he meant to. But then Jethro goes on to give Moses the plan of asking some capable men to sit as judges among the people so that Moses could continue to be the one who heard from God and led the people. That was his job. In other words, Moses had to say no to one thing in order to say yes to something more important. It was more important for Moses to be the one who would listen to God and lead the people than it was to be the one who's going to settle every single dispute and every detail of the people's lives. So Moses had to stop taking himself so seriously. He had to stop thinking that he was the only one who could resolve problems among God's people, and he had to start delegating responsibility in order to be a more effective leader. And what rule number six helps us to do is to realize that we can say no to some things which gives us the freedom and the strength and the energy to say yes to the things God wants for, for us. Rule number six is not only good for us because it gives us time and space to do the things of God, but it's also good for others because it helps people to develop their gifts, the people around us. When Moses chose other men to be leaders among the people, he had to train them and coach them and teach them and then send them out as leaders. And while there was some risk in doing that, those leaders did an amazing job and they were blessed as they served God and his people. Now I think there's several lessons in that story for us. And the first one is, as long as we're doing everything ourselves. We deny other people the opportunity to serve God and develop their gifts. So we need to learn to say no. Now saying that word, no, is hard for many of us. But we need to learn to say it. So we're going to practice for a moment. Can you say it with me on the count of three? One, two, three. No. We need to remember that we don't say no to everything, and we don't say no so that we can sit around and do nothing. We say no to some things in order to say yes to the, to the things that God wants us to do. Jesus actually told a story about this, and it's called the story of the Good Samaritan, recorded for us in Luke's Gospel, the 10th chapter. You may remember it. 
It's a very familiar story about a man who's going on a journey from Jerusalem to Jericho, about a 15-mile trip, and it would have taken him most of the day. Along the way, this man is ambushed. He's robbed, beaten up, stripped naked, and left for dead. And a little while later, a priest comes by. And you would expect a priest, a man of God who was called to serve God and God's people, to stop and help, but he was too busy. He had said yes to so many things, he didn't have time to stop to help someone in need, so he kept on going. And a little while later, a Levite came by, and the Levites were the people who helped support the priest. And they were faithful leaders among God's people. And again, of all people, you would think that they would have stopped and he would have stopped and helped because this Levite, but this Levite had said yes to so many things in his life that he didn't have time. So he kept on going. But then a Samaritan came by, and Samaritans, who were a mixed race of people from a neighboring country, were actually despised by the Jewish people. And so you would not expect that he would be the one to help. But while this Samaritan was obviously on his way somewhere as well. He had, he had said yes to something. He was also willing at that point to say no to his plans for that day in order to say yes to God. And it was the Samaritan who said no to whatever plans that he had made so that he could stop and help the man who was in need. He said no in order to say yes to what God wanted for him. And I think the lesson in Jesus' story is clear. We must learn to say no to some things in our life, even good things, so that when we hear God call us to serve or see some need in our community or our world, we can get involved. We say no in order to have the time and the energy and the wisdom to say yes. But saying yes to God is difficult. So we're going to practice that too. On the count of three, you can simply say, yes, one, two, three. So we need to think about the things in our life that that we might need to say no to. Good things. The multitude of things that that busy our life so that we have the time and have the energy to say yes to the things of God because in saying yes to God, That's what gives our life passion and meaning and purpose. Serving God is not a burden. It's a joy. Saying yes to God can be scary, can be full of sacrifice, but it will also bring power and purpose and energy to fill our lives like nothing else can. That's why we need to say no to some things so that we can say yes to God and experience the abundant life that God promises. Pastor Kent Millard, who was at one time the pastor of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, tells the story of when he was a student back in seminary in the 1960s, Boston University. In class one day, he heard from an alumni about an opportunity to serve God and make a difference in this nation, and that alumnus was Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., and the need was for people to march with him in Selma, Alabama. Dr. King was protesting the rights uh, for the rights of African Americans to register to vote. And And for a while, he had the support of many religious leaders throughout the country. But one day, one of those leaders was ambushed by the Ku Klux Klan, and they beat him up, and two days later, he died. And after that happened, many of the other religious leaders gave up, and they returned home 
and Dr. King was left needing people to help sustain the protest. So he contacted his friends at the university and asked if any students were interested in coming down and helping him with his mission. Now, this was not an easy request for these students because the clergy person who was killed, the Reverend James Reeb, was from Boston, so everyone knew that saying yes could cost them their life. These young people had every reason in the world to say no. They had classes to attend. They had made commitments. It would have been easy to say no, but 22 of them said yes, and one of them was Pastor Kent Millard. Every day they marched to the Selma Courthouse where crowds would be waiting for them, and, and, and the people in those crowds shouted at them and threw all kinds of things at them, and every day they would stop on the sidewalk and they would pray a simple prayer for the people who lived there, and this was their prayer. God, we pray for these people who live here that their hearts of stone might be turned to hearts of flesh and that they might learn to love their neighbor as themselves. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, in time, the laws of Selma changed and the seminary students returned to school and Pastor Millard said that his life was changed because he had said no to some things that were important in order to say yes to God. Many years later, Pastor Millard returned to Alabama to lead a conference of United Methodist clergy, and he began to share this story. And during the meeting, one of those pastors came up to him and he said, I was a young man in the crowd that day that was hurling insults at you, and I heard you ask God to turn our hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. And when I heard your prayer, Jesus came into my life, and I've never been the same since. You see, countless lives were changed because a few people were willing to say no to something important in order to say yes to the greater things of God. Now, these are the kinds of things that can happen in our lives and in our church as well as in our world. These are the kinds of things God wants to do in us when we begin to say yes to him. If we're going to be effective in living for God and serving God and making a difference in this world, then we need to figure out what to say no to in order to say yes to something even greater. I want to invite you this week to think about what you can say no to in your busy, busy, busy life in order to say yes more often to God. Remember rule number six. So many of the things we think only we can do can be done just fine without us or sometimes can be run more effectively and more passionately by others. What can you say no to? Not so that you have more time to watch TV or play more video games but to, and spend more time at the gym, but so that you can say yes to the greater things that are making a difference for the kingdom of God. What can you say no to in order to love God more fully and love your neighbor as yourself to fulfill the great commitment? the great commandment. If God is speaking to you today and you're ready to consider saying no to some things in your life so that you can say yes to God in a greater way, I'm going to invite you to pray this closing prayer with me, and it's on screen. Oh God, I offer myself to you. I say yes to your call. Give me the boldness and courage I need to live for you. 
Help me be clear about my priorities and give me the strength to say no so that when you need me, I might be free to say, here I am, Lord, send me. In Jesus' name.